And now, the MI6 Sports Network proudly presents Wild Sports Talk, featuring all of the wild and crazy sports news, stories, and takes of the day. Now, with all of the wild and craziness of the sports world, here's your hosts, Callan McClurg, Isaiah Leung, and Jonathan Mathis. Good evening, everybody, and welcome into yet another live edition of Wild Sports Talk, episode numero ocho on this Wednesday evening, August 12, 2020. Uh, tonight, folks, being joined tonight by our good friend Trevor Williams from No BS every Thursday right here on the MI6 Sports Network. And, of course, by our trusty sports judge himself, Jonathan Mathis, and our producer and engineer behind the scenes, shareable Stephen Wang. And, as always, folks, Cal McClurg, as always, joining you folks here in San Diego, California, apparently, though, in a dark alley uh, here today. But, uh, Trevor, good to see you, my friend. How are we doing tonight? Doing pretty good. I'm excited to be on the show. All the ex excitement and, you know, you know, it's a good time to be on the show. We got a lot of good segments and I'm ready to go underway. And John, as always, man, good to see you, sir. How's things going up at the house today? And as uh, always, man, uh, thanks for being here. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm glad to be here with you all. It's a lovely day today. And you know what it's time for you guys? You know what, what time it is? It's time to get wild! Let's go! John bringing the energy as he does, folks. We know I'm not fired up. Every single show. And uh, apparently we have Isaiah Leung also joining us from his home in the Bay Area. Other than the fact he has Eric Cartman being a stand-in for him. Isaiah, are you there, buddy, or what's going on? Yeah, I'm here. I was just trying to uh, pull what Belichick did in the NFL draft with his dog drafting for him. You know, I got uh, I was going to have Cartman stand for me and, you know, do the show in my place. But, yeah, I got my stuff done and I'm so thankful that I got to come on the show today. Uh, sorry, Trevor, for stealing your thunder. This was uh, supposed to be such a great pinch hitting opportunity for you, but I am back. I'm only going to be back for the MLB part because I need to, you know, rant about the A's, but I'm rocking on uh, my guy, Stevie P hit a home run today, a big home run for the A's. And also I'm repping the, uh, the New Mexico state Aggies, a team that, you know, uh, was already running on a low budget, but is now going to be affected big time by the college football postponement. So got to give them some love, but yeah, I can't wait for the show. And, of course, folks, we'll take your input on all things in the sports world via the live chat box on both the MI6 Sports Network and also live via the personal watch party starting up very, very shortly at this time. But, uh, guys, we'll start off shop in baseball today. As mentioned, we've, uh, again, uh, games still being played. Of course, the Cardinals waiting to kind of come back into the fray. Uh, but, guys, though, over the weekend, though, we had uh, the news break, though, about the uh, ongoing problem or problems, I should say, uh, facing – the uh, Oakland A's and the Astros for the role in the brawl on Sunday. And this, folks, coming down over the weekend. Uh, but the Astros and their hitting coach, Alex Centrone, have been docked a 20-game suspension. Uh, and also uh, A's outfielder uh, Ramon Laureano was popped six games for their roles in the bench-clearing melee on Sunday. Uh, Laureano is able to play right now by virtue of him appealing the suspension but against Centrone was given a 20-game suspension and also a undisclosed fine for the roles in the bench-clearing uh, fracas on Sunday at the Oakland Coliseum. Also, it is also believed that this is the longest coach uh, coaching suspension given out 
uh, per reports um, uh, towards a regular coach um, with, uh, with Major League Baseball. Uh, John, we'll start with you on this because I know that obviously the Astros have been in the limelight uh, for brawls already this season, of course, with the Dodgers and now in wake of the A's. Or more so, though, they were on the other side, though, of throwing at a batter this time uh, with things of this nature going on. Uh, John, what do you make, though, about the uh, uh, suspension handed down again for, one, a coach getting a 20-game suspension, but also the Rimal, uh, Ramon Laureano getting a six-game suspension? What do you make about it and why? The other day, Ramon Laureano said that he regret charging him because he's a loser. Okay, so... What that tells me is that Laureano has not forgotten about this. He's still a little bit bitter over this. He, he's not making it sound as obvious. But with those comments, you do sound obvious, my friend. You, you're, you're still a little bitter behind all of this. I'm okay with the suspension. I think MLB got it right. I think you have to suspend this guy 20 games. You have to send a message. You have to send a me message. Come on, Sutron. Really, dude? You're a coach. You're a coach. If anything, you shouldn't be instigating a brawl. You should be the one with the bigger head, you know, and you should be the one who's bigger than all of this and say, you know what? I need to step in, break this up, not add fuel to the fire because that's what he did. He added fuel to the fire. He made the situation a lot worse than what it needed to be. And I understand why Loriano was mad. Man, you make you make a comment about the man's mother, really? And you don't expect him to charge the mound? You're crazy. Look, the cheating Astros cannot get away with anything anymore. They, you know, it, look, they got away with this cheating scandal. These frauds were, were entangled in the scandal. And now it has finally caught up with them. Now they're getting just what they deserve. Their coach is getting suspended. They have a, a, a pile of injuries. You know, it, it just doesn't look good for the Astros right now. This whole situation could get worse. They've created a firestorm that didn't need to be. And it's just a shame that a coach, for the first time in Major League Baseball history, is serving a suspension you know, a, a, a lengthy suspension for his foolish actions because he wasn't smart enough and didn't know better. Trevor, what do you make about this whole thing? You know, I, I think that, of course, baseball fans have, for the longest time, wanted the Astros punished in some capacity for their role of the cheating scandal in 2017. They didn't get that right away, nor do I think is that title going to be stripped even three years past the date of this happening. But again, though, we knew, though, that baseball teams were going to find a way to get their shot at retribution. Of course, the Dodgers, we all knew were going to be the first team to do so. Then, of course, though, this is, in a, in a way, though, the, the story uh, switches over in my mind, where it's now the Astros being the hunted, where now they are being the hunter going after the first place ball club in the Oakland A's. Now, we, again, Trevor, I mean, I think it's only, or this only happened because this has been a thing that has been brewing for a while. Mainly this series, though, with, for one, the Astros are not the same ball club. We all know that pretty well right now. And they've been decimated by injuries with their rotation and their starting pitching. The lineup has not been the same by virtue of no trash cans being banged or buzzers going off or whatever else you know happened three years ago. 
but also that they literally were targeting, you know, one of the better players on Oakland. And I think, though, as a player, if I was being thrown at three, four, five, six times in a series, I'd be just as pissed off as Laureano. I wouldn't have charged, but I would be, it'd be in my mind, though, like, you know, these guys have thrown at me three, four, five, six times, you know, over a three-day stretch of games. So, Trevor, give me your thoughts, uh, your reaction to both the Cintron suspension and also uh, the Laureano suspension as well. I think personally, like, it's really uncalled to throw the ball at somebody in the back. Like, I watched the highlight of it. It was like, when I first saw it, I thought it hit him straight in the shoulder. It'd be like, that's a little bit too close to the head. But when I got, like, another camera angle, it hit him square in the back. And obviously, if you got hit with, like, a 90-mile-per-hour ball to your back, you're kind of going to be a little bit agitated. Yes, you get to walk on base, but then like the batting coach adds more fuel to the fire. And obviously you're going to keep talking because you're still upset that you've just been targeted three or four times in the past week. You don't need that. You don't want to be injured and accidentally get like have a pull muscle out. So it's like, come on, you don't need to do that to a star player. If you're trying to walk somebody, just throw balls, like just walk them if you're going to walk them. You don't need to square up and hit them in the back. Come on. They're professionals. They should, they should be doing some of this stuff like that. Come on. Put your grudges aside and, you know, man up almost. Isaiah, you know, this wasn't the first time, though, that we have seen, or this is now like at least the third time that I can think of already this baseball season where we have had a dust-up of some type. Dodgers, Astros, uh, Astros, and the A's now, but also the Padres and Dodgers had a mini-scuffle breakout last night in Los Angeles by virtue of maybe a retaliatory slide by Chris Taylor towards Padre catcher Austin Hedges. That's a whole other argument, though. But Isaiah, you know, obviously, you know, John said it best, though. I said it, and I, and I, think, I think that I had also said it, though, as well, uh, back on Monday about this whole thing, though, is the coaches don't even bother stirring the pot. Keep your, your rear end in your part of the dugout and don't move a muscle unless there is players going after each other, but you're not supposed to be there poking the bear and, you know, instigating stuff and stirring the pot, like I've said plenty of times. Uh, obviously, Isaiah, uh, I think, though, more than anything else, though, I think that maybe in a way, uh, baseball fans are like, good, the Astros finally got some justice handed their way with that 20-game suspension for Alex uh, Cintron. Uh, but, um, Isaiah, give us your thoughts, though, on the uh, brawl between the uh, Astros and the A's on Sunday. Now the uh, punishment finally dished out today. Uh, so my reaction to the punishment is that Alex Centrone is damn lucky that I am not the commissioner of baseball because if I was the commissioner of baseball, I would have suspended him for the rest of the season. What he did was utter classless. It was outrageous. Um, you're a coach. You're not supposed to be instigating fights. You're supposed to be, especially with the COVID-19 rules, you're supposed to be keeping your players away from getting involved in these brawls but this guy decided hey i want to be the center of attention i want to be on the newspapers tomorrow morning so he goes out and instigates these brawl this brawl and you know the the astros and the a's get into a huge dust up and i just thought that um what he said to ramon laureano about his mother that was just utter classless like i understand um if he says like hey laureano you suck at hitting or whatever like you, you're supposed to keep it in the basis of the sport, but he decides to go out and go personal. So those were the two faults that um, that Cintron did on Sunday that was wrong of him. And as for Loriano, I think a five-game suspension is uh, is definitely justified because 
like I know um Sinchon probably said something like terrible about Loriano's mother, but you gotta, you know, keep your like you gotta keep your uh anger in you. You can't, you know, charge at someone because right now we're in uh this pandemic and who knows, like Ramon Loriano with this dust up, like I was thankfully I was very, very um glad that none of the A's players got into got the coronavirus after this like dust up because they could have easily gotten the coronavirus because if some astral player got the coronavirus but we didn't know it because they were asymptomatic and they had this dust up they could have been passed over to like 60 70 players and coaches and we would have had a major outbreak that would have definitely shut baseball down so again, folks, the punishment doled out by the uh, commissioner's office for Major League Baseball again in wake of the brawl between the A's and Astros on Sunday. Again, A's outfielder um, Ramon Laureano uh, popped six games for his um, charging of the Astros dugout, while Astros hitting coach Alex Centrone was given a 20-game ban for, again, all their roles done in the brawl. Both gentlemen also were, uh, also were given an undisclosed fine as well, and Loriano has also appealed his suspension. Centrone did not elect to appeal per the report gathered from ESPN. And again, as Isaiah said, that was a very, uh, very uh, rough uh, series there, obviously, uh, for the uh, for the Ashes. But also, folks, a quick uh, stat to know here about this. The last time a player or a coach was given a 20-game suspension for an on-field action came in June of 2005 with former uh, Rangers pitcher Kenny Rogers after physically having a confrontation with two local media cameramen. The longest previous suspension before that for a coach over the past 20 years was a 15-game suspension for Juan Samuel in, in uh, April of 2000 as he was suspended for throwing punches during a brawl between the White Sox and the Tigers. So that is in perspective for a player and coach suspension. Again, that is all per the ESPN reports uh, given out as the story has in fact developed over the past several days. And again, more so recently in the wake of the whole thing going on uh, with that guys, let's stay with baseball, but move into uh, a uh, talking point guys that I was very fed up and fired up about yesterday on my morning program. And that now guys is a report that has been, uh, that was uh, surfaced, I should say by ESPN's Jeff Passan, that now that baseball is considering the postseason being done in a two or three city, uh, bubble environment, much like we have seen with the NBA, the WNBA, Major League Soccer, and the, and the NHL. And John, like I said yesterday, and I was very, very upset about this and very furious about this, is why wait now to announce plans for a baseball bubble? We could have had this worked out in March, back in April, back in May, back in June. But no, let's drag our feet through the sand. You know, let's, you know, take our sweet time you know, coming to some type of an agreement. And oh, now, by the way, let's go to a bubble environment all because in wake, I think it's just because in wake of two positive uh, teams having these uh, these uh, COVID-19 testing in regards to the Marlins and the Cardinals. And it's like, you know, why bother waiting? Now, again, though, I think though, that, it, that it probably could work if they go like what they were going to do. Go to cities like San Diego, like Phoenix, like Los Angeles, Anaheim, or ballparks that are in either warm weather cities or go to ballparks that have domes because of what the, what the weather might look like when you come down October into November, maybe even if in fact the world series goes into the first part of November, John, uh, your thoughts uh, about baseball, perhaps now finally 
uh, going to a bubble, maybe, for the uh, 2020 postseason. Hallelujah. Baseball finally woke up. It makes you wonder why they didn't pursue this in the first place. They should have been in a bubble all along. But I guess better uh, late than ever. You know, you. I mean, that's the positive you can take out of it, that baseball finally, finally wrapped their head around this and, you know, finally came to the realization that it's probably best that we move this to a bubble environment when the playoffs do come. MLB considering considering a bubble-type uh, format for the postseason is a great idea. Southern California will be um, a, a great place to host these playoff games. The reason being is warmer weather. Um, you know, it's a, a large city where you can possibly put three bubbles in different parts of, of Southern California, maybe some teams in San Diego, maybe some teams in Anaheim, maybe some teams in L.A. If this could work out, this would be good in terms of the end of se September and, and going into early October, I think. Um, a regional bubble all along was a fabulous idea. So now MLB is in primary talks about a bubble format. Um, and the format itself would be similar to NHL format. Um, it's worked out perfectly for the NFL, for the uh, NL, NHL. I don't see why it couldn't work for baseball. Um, but it took all this time for baseball to finally get the message. They needed to see some outbreaks happen first before they even considered, you know, moving baseball to a bubble environment. Very, 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 uh, um, very, very irresponsible by Major League Baseball. Um, you know, they could have got this right much sooner and they, they could have had this done before the season started. It's a real shame that it took two baseball clubs to have some type of outbreak for baseball to finally say, you know what? I think it's smart if we move this inside a bubble like the NBA and the NHL. Trevor, what do you think? You know, like I said, I was very vocal about this, you know, like literally, you know, I was checking my watch, like TikTok, TikTok. Why wait now to get this thing going? You know, this could have been done back in March when spring training got shut down again for those temporary reasons. They could have, you know, I know, I know they had talked about these plans mainly with Arizona and Florida, but now of course those two States are probably not the best option right now because of their spike in COVID cases, even perhaps same out here in California. But I think though, Trevor, that if we're going to go this route, you know, you're going to you're going to need at least one bubble for the wild card round and then bubbles for the, uh, the rest of the playoffs, I mean, depending on if you do like an AL city, NL city, but, you know, thinking of, you know, ballparks, you know, you can go to, you know, obviously Southern California across the board, Padres, Angels, Dodgers, maybe Phoenix, maybe you can go to Houston and into Arlington, maybe into Florida, uh, maybe, you know, other ballparks with domes uh, to make this thing work. And I think that if baseball really, you know, put some effort forward and not, you know, half-assing everything or dragging their feet through the sand, they could have, you know, honestly done this in a bigger and better way, maybe, honestly, or at least somewhere close to what the other leagues have done. So, uh, Trevor, give me your thoughts, though, on this. You know, are you in favor of baseball going to a bubble, at least for the postseason in 2020? 
for me personally, I think that's a fantastic idea for them to move the bubble, but they took so long to get this going. Like you could have did this at the beginning and like you could have at least put it in certain parts of the country would be like Southern California teams, everything from like the West Coast be in these cities, anything in like the central part of the United Smart. States be in these cities and then the East Coast, you know, you can split up half between Northeast and then the Southeast. You can split it up like that, six different bubbles if you wanted to. So you didn't have a lot of teams moving. You already had regional play going on. So it was easy to contain people in those respective bubbles in that sense. But come on. MLB, you let us down waiting so long. I'm just, I just can't wait for the playoffs to get in underway so we can have confined bubbles and players not breaking any of the rules so we can basically finish and basically finish an MLB season. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Isaiah, I know that you're probably, probably like you, uh, you and I both are probably very skeptical about teams making that 60 game threshold by virtue of the Cardinals mess, the Marlins mess, stuff like that and everything else going on across the board. But Isaiah, you know, I think that's the argument, though, that we all share on this topic, though, is why did it take baseball so fracking long to come up with this idea for a bubble? I know I know, they had discussed it earlier, gents, in February or in March, maybe in April, you know, Arizona and Florida. But again, though, the case numbers in those states were not very great. The weather was also a very big factor in that time as we were, you know, moving into the early spring the mid spring into summer, pretty much uh, with that. I know they discussed it, but you know, the players weren't on board then. And I think they'll be on board now because of the cases being done. But Isaiah though, uh, your thoughts, is it finally time though, that baseball at least considers a bubble environment now in more than likely, like we said though, in wake though of two of their teams having outbreaks of COVID-19. Listen, before I get into the, my points about the bubble, I want to first commend Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred for putting in the strict protocols that they've put in place. Because if you look at it, ever since they've put in those strict MO, uh, those protocols that um, regulate the off-the-field actions, Major League Baseball hasn't suffered or, yeah, they haven't suffered a major outbreak or has anyone tested positive for the coronavirus in the last two weeks and counting. It's been really, really good. I really hope, uh, and I cross my fingers, that it keeps up because I really want to see this baseball season go through because my A's got the best record right now in the American League. And, you know, it's been a long time since that has ever happened. So I really hope this baseball season really does go through. But... In terms of the bubble, I got to respectfully disagree with you guys. I don't think that um, the bubble would have worked in the beginning because there was just way too many teams with each team carrying like 30 to 40 players on the roster, even 60 at one point. So you would literally have had like probably like over 2,000 players in a bubble. And that's just way, way, way too many people to fit inside like that bubble and two bubbles, you could have worked, but I just think that, that, that is just still way too many people. I think the best idea would have had to split like, um, the two, like, yeah, the NL West and the AL West into one bubble and then the AL Central and the NL Central into another bubble and then the NL East and the AL East into another bubble. But that would just take way, way too much time and it would also cost you way too much money. So I think it makes sense that um, baseball is only doing it in 
for the playoffs because if for the regular season it would have like you would have had 30 teams with a lot of players in the bubble now you're only having 16 so that cuts down the amount of players that you need to put inside that bubble which would cost you less money so I kind of get that and but John I got to disagree also on your point about California being the best place to put the bubble I think the best place to put the bubble is in my hometown of Hawaii yes Rob Manfred uh, Tony Clark put the bubble in Hawaii. Hawaii right now has the lowest number of cases of the coronavirus in America. Hawaii is paradise. It's a great place. Like the players on their off day can go to the beach, go get do some sun tanning, and you know drink some uh, pina coladas or whatever, and just like relax on the beach and have some fun on their off day. And it's it's just perfect, man. Like why wouldn't you want to spend like if you have like let's say a month or two months locked in a bubble? Why wouldn't you want to spend that in Hawaii? It would be so so perfect. Couple things. There are cases to spike there too, though, by visiting the beach when you should be in your hotel room as a player. Couple of things. First and foremost, the Padres had their AAA team in Hawaii a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And secondly, they also played a uh, exhibition series there in the 90s, I think, called the Paradise Series. Uh, and thirdly, where are you going to play the games other than the University of Hawaii baseball stadium, maybe at the one for Hawaii Pacific University. Aloha Stadium is not built to be a baseball stadium like it used to be back in the day. They have kept it in football configuration. There used to be a way where they could retract the seats to make it into a baseball stadium. I don't see that happening anytime soon. It sounds great, but also there's still that two week mandatory quarantine for anyone coming to the to Hawaii. Uh, from the mainland too. So I like the idea, Isaiah. I'll let you finish your thought though, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. The only problem if Major League Baseball does decide to go with a bubble in Hawaii is that I have a feeling a lot of these pitchers will put up terrible stats and the batters will like put up terrible stats because they won't be training. Come on, let's face it. They, they're not going to be training at all. They're going to be out there on the beach, you know, sun tanning. They're going to be, you know, getting uh, visiting like the other like hot spots that you've got in Hawaii. They're going to be who knows? They might even be going swimming to go look for dolphins or something like that. So that's the only concern I could see with Hawaii um, being a bubble is that the players you you might hey John you 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 were like uh, ranting about how Cody Bellinger is hitting like 219 or whatever yesterday if you put Cody Bellinger in Hawaii he's gonna do even worse because the guy's not gonna be training he's gonna be swimming with dolphins every day I guarantee you that yeah we will have to watch games at, at during breakfast hours we have to watch games at 9 a.m. in the morning <laughs> okay, uh, we're off the rails with, with that one. I mean, it would sound cool, but lack of facilities and a lot of other things is probably why I would vote no for Hawaii for the uh, baseball bubble. With that, gents, over now in the NFL. Uh, some news, uh, that was Say that again, John? Breakfast with baseball. Oh, that'd be amazing. I, I, I don't get up at 6 a.m., though, but I would probably have to do that if the Padres were in a meaningful game. Uh, with that, guys, over in the NFL, as mentioned, uh, today, the Buffalo Bills made a very uh, cool announcement uh, by giving their head coach, Sean McDermott, a six-year contract extension. That now, gentlemen, makes him the long, will make him the longest-tenured Bills coach since the late, great Marv Levy did it back when the Bills went to their four straight Super Bowl appearances in the late 80s and in the 90s. 
Uh, Trevor, we'll start with you on this one. What does the signing in your mind do for Buffalo going into this upcoming season? I think this is a good sign. They just got to the wild card last year. Patriots are a little bit on the down low, just got a new quarterback. So there could be a potential chase with Cam Newton going off and winning that division. But Josh Allen is growing and developing, maturing as a quarterback. So he's going to be able to lead the Bills and try to win that division or at least be second place and get the wild card spot again. So there's a lot of potential here and a lot of good future aspects in the Bills of getting into the playoffs and maybe going for an AFC championship like maybe three years down the line. But who knows? It really depends on the rest of the AFC at that time. But the Bills are definitely a contender in the playoffs for future years to come. John, I will say it's probably been a long time, my friend, since we've actually uh, not said the Patriots were the favorites to win the AFC East Division Championship. That, in my mind, probably at this rate with how that division looks on paper, that might favor Bill's Mafia this season. And also now, man, that we again, as we've already reported on, though, again, Adam Schefter reporting a six-year contract extension for Sean uh, McDermott, the head coach for Buffalo, who, again, with this contract, again, folks, would become the longest-tenured coach since Marv Levy, all the way back in the four straight Super Bowl appearances for the Buffalo Bills. So, John, you know, I think this is probably an exciting time for Buffalo sports fans who, again, have not a lot to, to, to cheer for since those Marv Levy-led Bills. What do you make about the signing again? Sean McDermott's six-year extension for the head coach and, again, to become the longest-tenured uh, Bills coach since Coach Levy back in the 80s. Sean McDermott has been granted residency to make his home in Buffalo for maybe a very long time. Look, he's the future coach, obviously. Um, he has made an impression on these players. He has done a tremendous job with this team in his first season. In his first season, this team ended a playoff drought. They were able to make their first playoff appearance in his first season with the team. Sean McDermott has done a tremendous job resuscitating this franchise. This franchise was in a pit of mediocrity, and he's kind of helped them climb out of that pit. Um, he's done an amazing job as a head coach. Um, you know, he led Buffalo to the playoffs in, in 2019. Uh, and, you know, it's just amazing what he's done. Look, I got a stat here. He became the third coach in franchise history to make the playoffs in two of his first three seasons with the team. That's impressive right there. Um, you know, he's definitely um, helping this team develop, and you, you see it with Josh Allen. He's getting better by the second. Um, I like Sean McDermott. I wish him all the best in Buffalo. I think this is a great signing for the team. And you know what? Hey, Maybe he will one day and he will join elite company uh, with Marv. Marv Levy was the the one of the greatest coaches in Buffalo history, in, in the franchise's history. So maybe Sean McDermott, like Marv Levy, is actually onto something. Isaiah, what do you think? You know, and obviously, you know, like I said, it's been a long time since we have said that said a team other than New England for the top spot in the AFC East division. Honestly, man, this might be probably the most wide open division, maybe minus a couple of teams. It might come down in my mind to the Pats and Buffalo for the top spot in the division this year. Uh, but uh, Isaiah, in your mind though, what does the uh, extension for uh, Sean McDermott in your mind do for Buffalo going forward for the next six years? 
It, it, it's well-deserved because Sean McDermott, um, I don't know if you guys remember this, but when Rex Ryan was fired by the Buffalo Bills, I think it was like two, three years ago, the Buffalo Bills were in shambles. They didn't have a quarterback. Their defense was awful. Offensive line was awful. Uh, wide receiver-wise, they were awful as well. They, they just didn't have any talent in the cupboard. And um, Sean McDermott has come in there and completely changed the culture of the Buffalo Bills, just like Kyle Shanahan has done with the San Francisco 49ers. He's changed the culture. He's um, made them a winning team because before uh, McDermott arrived, Buffalo was like, when you thought about the bills, they were always thought about as a team that continuously lost. They were just terrible franchise and McDermott has completely changed the culture. He's changed the standard there. And it's been really, really impressive watching him work. The bills now have one of the best defenses in the NFL. They've got a young budding quarterback in Josh Allen. Uh, they've got they, this offseason They got, uh, one of the best wide receivers in the NFL in Stephon Diggs. The running game is very good. This team is on the call up and I can't wait to see what they do moving forward. I think it's a great, great signing for uh, the Buffalo Bills ownership and keeping Sean McDermott there for the long haul. Definitely. So again, folks, Sean McDermott, uh, head coach of the Buffalo Bills, re-extended a six-year contract extension uh, sent his way uh, to uh, a six-year deal. Again, it's all per ESPN's Adam Schefter. Isaiah, you're reacting inside of the uh, Zoom box here. What's up, buddy? So um, so I just got a notification on my cell phone, and we've got some breaking news uh, from Adam Schefter. It's kind of very shocking breaking news, actually, before I leave the show, and that is Everson Griffin, the longtime Vikings defensive end, very good sacks uh yeah very good very good at sacks he has signed with the dallas cowboys on a one-year deal so uh, the rich get even richer so trevor react to me what does this do for dallas's defense going into the next season with this signing it just beefs it up and i think that almost like almost clinches the nfc east john point. react yeah, to me what do you got that, that right there just clinches that NFC East, that makes the Cowboys 10 times better than what they already were. Great pickup for them. Um, look for that defense to be uh, fearless and fearsome. Isaiah, react to me. What do you got? Very shocking because when you look at Everson Griffin and the body of work that he's done, this guy should have com like commanded a two like a multi-year contract worth way more money. And according to the reports that Adam Schefter is putting out, it's a Cam Newton incentive-laden one-year deal. So it's like very surprising that uh, uh, the amount of money that he got. So we'll have more about that, folks, probably on our next program, maybe tomorrow on No BS or next Monday back here on MI6. With that, Isaiah, we'll bid you a good goodbye, and we'll see you on No BS tomorrow evening, my friend. Yeah, I just got some uh, one final thought before I head out, and that is make sure you guys tune in to No BS tomorrow. We've got an amazing ultra fun Power 5 segment for you guys. You guys don't want to miss the Power 5 segment that we have tomorrow. Shh. Thanos demands your silence. We won't spoil okay. it for you folks. Tune in tomorrow yeah. at 5 30 p.m. Give out it away, Isaiah. Come what on, it will man. be tomorrow. Ned, it's a surprise. Silence is golden, my friends. We'll have more yes, about that tomorrow evening. But with that, Move though, uh, all right. See you guys. 
See you. Take care, man. We'll see you tomorrow. So again, folks, Isaiah Leung heading out. So that leaves uh, John, uh, Trevor, and myself for the remaining part of our program here. But uh, pretty much, gents, pretty much halfway through. So we're pretty much on a good, uh, good uh, timing frame right now. Uh, John, we're going to go over to the NBA now again as the uh, regular season uh, comes down to the wire here, man. And I will tell you something right now. If there is a team that should not be coming apart at the seams right now in the bubble, it is the Milwaukee Bucks, who uh, apparently, or not apparently, but are not going to be without Giannis Attentacumpo for their next upcoming game due to a headbutt he threw in front of his head coach against the Wizards last night, uh, directed towards Mo Wagner of the Wizards last night uh, in their bubble matchup. And John, this is the worst time for Milwaukee or even a team that has been like Milwaukee or the Lakers to start coming unglued and having issues and losing games and having egos get in the way of stuff. Uh, John, in your mind, though, at least with Giannis, this is very uncharacteristic of Giannis Tindacupo. Now, I know that Mo Wagner kind of has like, like a little bit of like a hockey enforcer about him. He's kind of a guy that kind of bops around. He's kind of a goon, you know, kind of, you know, talks trash to you, stuff like that, bumps into you. But, as, but at the same time, John, I didn't like it for a couple things. For one, stupid play, but also... He did it right in front of head coach Mike Budenholzer of the Bucks. I think that was just poor judgment. I know it was he in the moment, but man, this could have had a very worse damaging effect on the Bucks if he was going to be out for longer than just one game. John, react to me your thoughts about Giannis and that very, very out of control headbutt thrown against the Wizards last night. You know what? It was out of control. This is very uncharacteristic of Giannis. I've never seen him react like this. I mean, you know, um, he's been kind of losing his cool lately. Um, I don't know if you noticed, he got into it with a Brooklyn Net player uh, not too long ago. Um, he had to be restrained, uh, separated <clears throat> from the crowd after he got up, retaliated, kind of had a few words for, um, I can't remember who it oh, was. Wagner. On the Nets. Oh, on the nets he had a few words they exchanged words he had to be separated and now you have this incident where he gets involved um in a confrontation with Mo Wagner now all he had to do was walk away that was unnecessary that was uncalled for you know what you're the only star on your team Milwaukee the Milwaukee Bucks doesn't they don't have a number two star on their team so he's a very important player. And now is not the time to be missing games. You are affording an opportunity. You, you as a superstar on this team are afforded an opportunity, right? To lead your team to the NBA finals. And if you're going to keep, you know, making mistakes like this and you're going to keep you know, getting involved in confrontations that lead to fines and suspensions, then that can cost your team. This could seriously hurt his team. Now, I don't think it's gonna it's too much of a I don't think it's gonna hurt his team too much right now because it's only a one game suspension. This is a game he probably would have set out anyway. Who knows? True point. To be quite honest with you. So it really doesn't affect the team too much. Now, if he does it again, it could be costly for the team. It could be very devastating. So I hope that Giannis learns from this, puts this in the past, and, and you know, be more 
of a responsible player because what he did was very distasteful. It was classless, and he didn't have to stoop to that level. Um, you know, just walk away from it. Um, be smart. Don't make, you know, dumb decisions that could later cost your team. I have to applaud Isaiah for leaving the program and writing into the chat box saying, damn you, Giannis, I needed you to crush Memphis and get my guy book and the sons into the postseason. So even when he's not even on the air, he still has to bring <laughs> up his boy, Devin Booker. So uh, we'll leave it at that. But Trevor, you know, I, I think though that John's onto a good point. And again, I think I pretty much laid it, laid it out, you know, laid it out there for you. Uncharacteristic, uncalled for. Again, I know heat of the moment, but at the same time, in front of your head coach, like, man, it's like it was a big time, <laughs> big time mistake by Giannis yesterday. And again, like I said, though, uncalled for, out of character for sure for Giannis. I, mean, I know that he's been jaw jacking a lot recently and stuff yeah. like that. But, man, in front of your of your team's head coach is, I think, a worse feeling, I think, than just having to go out there and just headbutt somebody. And, again, I know that Mo Wagner can kind of, in a way, be like, you know, maybe – maybe not as close, but you know, the bad boys where they, you know, trash talk, you know, they bump you, you know, they, they do stuff like that. Uh, Trevor, what do you have to say though about Giannis and that headbutt again, that cost him a game uh, against Memphis for Milwaukee down in the bubble. The first thing I say when I look at the headbutt, I'm like thinking college football targeting <laughs> ejected from the game. End of story. Like that's what, it, that's when it first came to me in that point. But like the play before that, like, the charge looks so fierce. Like Giannis goes blow through, shoulders lowered, and it's just like he slides so far back. But like at the time, it's like, oh, I thought it was going to be like a blocking foul, but they called it as a charge. So it's like, wow. So a lot of players would be upset with the offensive call. So it just ended up blowing over into that. So I feel like probably Giannis was frustrated that the call didn't go his way. So you probably little lost this cool, ended up headbutting. You probably got too close and then – accidentally hit up with the head, but it looked more intentional than an accidental headbutt than what it actually really was. And you did it right in front of your coach. Come on. You're supposed to be the star player, the lead role. You can't be doing that action. If you start blowing off steam in front of your team, you're just going to watch the team fall apart because they're going to see their leader leave the court. And now what are they going to do? Who do they go to? Who's going to step up and fill that position when Giannis goes away? And let's put it into another perspective. Let's say it happened in the playoffs. You could have got a two-game suspension, and that could literally cost them a series and get them into being swept by another team later on in the playoffs or forced into a game seven they didn't want to play in. That part. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. that part for sure. Absolutely. I agree. Uh, with that, folks, uh, our man, shareable Stephen Wang, has put out the first poll question of the night. Who has been the best player in the NBA bubble? Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, TJ Warren, or a, or other? If it is other, folks, please write in your player name so we can read it live on the air. But again, that question is, who has been the best player in the NBA bubble? Devin Booker, Damian Lillard, TJ Warren, or is it a other player? John, simple question here, yes or no, and then give me your thoughts briefly. Are the Bucks now crumpling or uh, crump, uh, crumpling under the pressure of the postseason now? Yes, they are crumbling under the pressure of the postseason. I'm glad you asked because I wanted to touch on this a little bit. I don't think they're made for postseason play. And the reason being is because they rely too heavily on Giannis. Giannis can't do it alone. He's a one-man show in Milwaukee. What, where do they go from, from here when he walks away in free agency? Because there's no way that there's no way he's gonna remain 
a Milwaukee Buck. I think once his time is up there, he will, you know, sign with another team in another city. You know, there's too much on his shoulders. And I think that's why he is reacting the way he's reacting because he's playing with a heavy burden on his shoulder as it is, you know, and he's basically dragging this team to the postseason. I mean, they had an impressive, uh, an impressive season. They had a remarkable season, but I think their run comes to an end. Unfortunately, there's just better teams in the East. There's teams with too much firepower. They're stacked. They're loaded with talent. You know, you look at teams like Toronto Raptors. You look at teams like the Miami Heat. They're playing really well. Jimmy Butler is locked in right now. He's on a whole different level right now. They have uh, Duncan Robinson, who's a sharpshooter, um, you know, can pretty much light it up from anywhere on the floor. Um, you look at Toronto Raptors, you have Fred Van Fleet. I wonder if he has another baby on the way because he is outstanding right now. Then you have, um, you, you have, um, what's, what's another team in the East that's really stepped it up Boston. a lot? Boston. Boston, even though they, they, they're undersized, you know, they have great guard play. They can even challenge the Bucks. I think they beat them in the series. The Bucks are just, are just down to one superstar really. And, it's going to catch up to them in the postseason. Why, Boom why goes that you? dynamite. Finally, first time tonight. <laughs> I was waiting for somebody to make that dynamite go off. It was John uh, with the I argument did. about the Bucks and that Giannis might walk in free agency, which honestly, I could see that happening. Because if I'm not mistaken, Trev, doesn't Giannis have a brother playing for the Los Angeles Lakers? Yes, he does. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I can totally get behind an AD, Giannis, and LeBron lineup. Uh, but with that, though, uh, Trevor, though, on track, though, uh, with the question in your mind, is Milwaukee now suddenly cracking and crumbling under the pressure now that the postseason is very close and mainly because of what, of course, has gone on with Giannis over the past several games? I think the cracks are starting to show I and mean, we're going to see it later in the postseason when they actually play a good team later in the playoffs. It's just going to show. It's just going to. Pieces are going to break off. Giannis is going to lose his cool. And it's going to be like, you might get a technical or an ejection. And that series, it's just going to unravel the organization. And let's say it's against Boston. And Boston can end up playing in the NBA Finals. Or, you know, the Miami Heat. Something gets off, a tempers flare, boom. Miami Heat still has good players on the team. And same with a good bench. So, like, the Heat can pick up with one player getting ejected and be able to continue. Not the same with the Bucks. So, it's like... It's right or die with Giannis. If Giannis can't pull this off, it's like there's really no one in the East can really compete with him. But it's like it's his finals, like playoffs to lose almost. Pretty much. So we'll see uh, how that, in fact, comes to fruition. Uh, guys, uh, let, let's scrap the play in tournament question. I want to talk about this poll question, though, what Shareable Steve put up again. Who has been the best player in the bubble, Booker, Lillard, Warren, or a other? Uh, Trev, we'll start with you in your mind. Out of those three, maybe if there is an other in your mind, out of those three options, D-Book, Lillard, or Warren, in your mind, who's been your uh, your best player in the NBA bubble and why? 
I think it's so far I'm going to go for Isaiah. Devin Booker, he's been fun to watch, has a lot of exciting moments in the games. He had a buzzer beater against Kawhi Leonard, against a league MVP, playoff MVP. So the guy can really contend with a lot of these superstars out there. So it's only for more room for Devin Booker to grow, increases value to a team that may need another guard to move the ball around, be able to shoot a deep three, or need to be able to score a lot of points. So he's trying to prove himself to the league so he can get moved to another organization, give him a fighting chance to be a playoff contender team or be that missing piece to get a team to the NBA finals. John, how about you uh, on this poll question between D book Dame TJ Warren or a other who has been your best player in the NBA bubble? Isaiah, what time is it right now? What time is it? It's Dame time. It's Dame time, baby. Damian Litter, guys, come on. Really? What kind of question is that? Damian Litter right now has taken his game to a whole new level. Man, he is locked in. I think the Clippers gave him all the ammunition to play at such a high level. Because that's what we've seen since the Clippers tunnel him for those two missed free throws and the potential game-winning shot that he missed. The Clippers made a mockery out of him, and he responded in such a big way. He's gone off in this bubble. He is putting up 50 points a game, 60 points a game. It is remarkable to watch. He is a fun player to watch. He's electrifying. I think he's the most clutch performer in the NBA right now. You know, um, and if you're a Lakers, you got to be scoreboard watching to see if this is the team you get in the first round. Because let me tell you something. It's going to be a challenge. It won't be easy. Dame being littered is coming at you in a big way. And he's going to do whatever he can do to put his team in position to win. He's going to, you know, jack up a lot of shots and make most of them because that's just who he is. I think he's the most clutch player in the game today. I think he's an unappreciated player, doesn't really get as much talk, as much talk like the other players in this league. Um, And he definitely deserves credit for what he's done in Portland. Um, Just a wonderful player, all-around talent. You know, I'll give you guys the benefit of the doubt for picking D-Book and also uh, picking Damian Lillard. Again, folks, that poll question will still be going on uh, through the end of this uh, segment here before we actually go over to talk uh, NHL hockey. But guys, while I respect both of your uh, decisions, give me TJ Warren. I mean, if we want to talk about motivating factors, gentlemen, in this bubble, forget about Dame, forget about D-Book. T.J. Warren dealt away for cash considerations. That man has made those two words like the most talked about words and phrases in the NBA bubble in his entire time playing. You want to talk about utter disrespect, like John said, though, about Lillard being fired up by the Clippers. How would you feel, though, being traded away from a team like Phoenix or the team that drafted you, traded away for cash considerations? They literally traded you and your, you know, you and your draft rights and pretty much, you know, traded you as a player for a giant Brinks truck of money. The utter disrespect in that case, in my mind, 
weighs a little bit heavier than Dame being disrespected by an entire ball club and three other players, and even and even higher than uh, than uh, than Booker trying to totally take you know a very stuck in the mud franchise like the Suns to the next level. T.J. Warren again, fellas, literally got dealt for Benjamins and nickels and dimes and pennies and quarters, and that in my mind has stuck out as stuck out big time with his play. I know he's on Indiana, probably not going to get very far in the postseason. I know they're without Sabonis because of that foot injury. He had to leave the bubble earlier on when they first got there. But literally, though, dealt away to Indiana for cash considerations. That has been like the best storyline in my mind. I mean, believe me, I've, I've loved Lillard. I've, lo I've loved uh, Lillard. I've loved Booker's play. But, mo but if you want utter or total... Like another step above what John was saying about Lillard being disrespected by a ball club. How about a ball club disrespecting you so much, Trevor, that they traded you for money, not even another player, but traded you for money. I mean, what would you have to say about that? Yes. Who feels that dynamite? I would feel hurt. You, you drafted me to be a piece in your organization. You think I could be a part that could get you further into the playoffs or become a playoff contending team and you're trading me away for money? Not even other assets. You're just trading me away for money. It's like, oh, you could be trading me for a different player, trying to build something else. I'd be like, okay, that's fair. I feel like I'm being compared to another good player. Fair trade, but to money. And that's it. And you're getting nothing else. Not even draft picks for my value. That really hurts. So I would be like, all right, once I get that chance to be on that other team, I'm going to beat you every year. Year in and year out. That's the bottom line. Come on. <laughs> John, believe me, I totally think, though, that the Clippers have motivated Damian Lillard again. But there's something I think, man, different in an athlete's mind if you're being traded. Like, okay, maybe like Trevor said, it's a player to be named later, like in baseball or maybe some draft picks. But, man, they traded you away from Phoenix, Arizona to Indianapolis, Indiana for a Brinks truck. Give me a break. I'll take Warren any day of the week in regards to disrespect. But give me your thoughts, though, about that. That's very disrespectful to trade someone for money, not even assets. Really? You trade them for money? I think that just fired him up as well uh, to, you know, focus more on his game, to, uh, you know, develop his craft as a player. And we've seen that in Indiana. And now he's out to prove a point. He's out to show the world what he's capable of doing. And he has done just that since he's gotten to Indiana. So no hard feelings for him. I think he actually realized that he's actually in a better position than what he was at Phoenix, you know, with, with a team like Indiana. And then he has the privilege to play with a guy like Victor Oladipo, who's a very great, great player and who's made a comeback of his own after uh, a significant injury that had him side for some time. So I think TJ Warren is in a good place. I think he's happy with his current situation. And man, I think it just gave him, you know, the, the initiative to play harder. And now he is showing the world who he really is. And he's a sensation to watch. He has, you know, been a superstar. He has emerged into a superstar um, in Indiana. So again, folks, uh, that poll question is going to be closing very shortly. We'll keep this running for a little bit longer because uh, John and Trevor can take a back seat for this segment here. Uh, going to talk some NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. And I will say this, guys, you know, a, a lot of uh, sports fans uh, say that the uh, Stanley Cup playoffs 
and the Stanley Cup as a whole is the hardest team sport championship to win because you're playing four rounds, best out of seven, and you're out there beating the daylights of another organization, fist fights, and all, you know, and, and all the checking and all the block shots uh, that, in fact, go on. But I will say this, though, guys. The first game yesterday between Columbus and Tampa Bay became an instant playoff classic. This game in perspective, folks, began at 12 noon Pacific time after I finished my morning stream yesterday. Did not end until the game was over after five overtime periods. Now, folks, in retrospect, playoff hockey overtime is the same length as a regular or regulation period. So think about this. They played three 20-minute periods and played five more 20-minute periods before Tampa Bay finally won the game. The game went so late in Toronto last night that the next game that was scheduled between the Canes and Bruins had to be moved to this morning at 8 a.m. because of the, uh, the time constraints in Toronto. That game today between Carolina and Boston went to double overtime. So, fellas, we had seven overtime periods played in the first two games in, in the Toronto part of the bubble between, uh, between uh, the, uh, the, the Hurricanes and the Bruins today with the two overtimes and then Columbus and Tampa Bay playing five overtimes last night. And by the way, guys, the game did not make it. That was not the longest game played in playoff history. It had to go a full 12 minutes and two seconds the game ended about nine minutes, roughly, into the uh, fifth period of overtime. But, Trevor, we talk a lot, I think, man, about, like, NFL playoff games in overtime or NBA games going to overtime. But, Trevor, there's a whole nother dynamic. I've been a part of a couple of these very lengthy overtime hockey games, man. Wow. It is an absolute grind trying to get through a game like this. Notably, the uh, hockey team I work for in San Diego – their first game of their second round series in Bakersfield last year, that game went to quadruple overtime and was not over till about one o'clock, 1230, one o'clock in the morning. They had to come back and play game two later that day. So Trevor, and, uh, give me your thoughts about uh, playoff overtime in the NHL. Cause I know, man, a lot of people, you very much who goes to dynamite steven uh but uh trevor give me your thoughts though again a five overtime game last night and a double overtime game tonight to kick off the first two days of the stanley cup playoffs i think there needs to be a certain point in time where you just go straight into shootouts and just duke it out that way going to five overtimes trying to decide who wins just thinking that on like a physical toll on your body that is a hundred minutes <laughs> you going out there to play and you end up delaying other games and it's like you really are time constrained at this point in time it's not like a normal season where you all you can push it back and move things around you can't really do that in this bubble environment so it's like 100 minutes of hockey and your body is physically broken down that's just from the overtime periods think about the other three periods you already played on top of that my gosh that's 160 minutes right there i would be worn out i'd be sitting in the locker room in the ice i'd be like we have to play another series soon. Come on, I need a break. <laughs> John, what do you think? Because I, because I, I think that yesterday, guys, the stats were out of control. Like the Lightning had like over eighty shots on goal. Uh, both goalies were absolutely phenomenal. Both Andre Vasilevsky and uh, Jonas 
Carpus, uh, Carpilso for the uh, the Blue Jackets yesterday. Uh, Seth Jones, a defenseman for the Blue Jackets, racked up over an hour of ice time yesterday playing in those very short uh, spurted shifts. Uh, but John, five overtimes, man, in the NHL. What do you got to say about that? Man, that's got to be exhausting. That that has to be tiring to go that long and, you know, not just settle it in a shootout, which would be much easier. Of course, there would be a team in, in the end that felt like they got robbed. They'll complain about it. But you can't please everyone. You got to come up with a new rule to end the game much sooner. Maybe a shootout, like my buddy Trevor suggested. Maybe that'll work out uh, better in the long run. But hey, this competitive hockey, you know, there's two teams going at it. And it, it, um, what it tells me is that it's quite evident that there are a number of great teams in hockey. And they are very competitive with a lot of talented players who make things very interesting. Hockey, to me, it has always been one of the most unappreciated sports. You know, it doesn't get the same amount of love that basketball, football, and, you know, baseball does. And I understand it's not originated here in the United States, but it's still a fun sport. It's one of the most physical sports that I've ever seen. Um, There's a lot of physicality in the game. There's a lot of intensity. Um, These players come out and play with a lot of energy, but, man, to be on skates for that long, I don't know how those guys did it. More power to them. Thankfully, they had today off. They won't resume that series until tomorrow uh, between the Blue Jackets and the Lightning. And again, the Hurricanes and Bruins had their game moved back because of the uh, what the uh, Canes on Twitter said that they were uh, Columbus and Tampa were hogging the ice in Toronto. They end up losing to Boston 4-3 in double overtime today. So good grief with that. And by the way, folks, our new poll question up for the uh, segment until the end of the program. Uh, which league has the better postseason, the NHL or the NBA? Give us your thoughts on that, and we'll go from there and have those as uh, things do, in fact, move on. And also, guys, the uh, results of the previous poll question that we had asked in regards to uh, who, uh, in your mind, was the better player or best player in the bubble, it was a tie, 33% across the board for uh, uh, Warren, Booker, and Lillard. So no definitive favorite out of the bubble environment, but I think that all three of us gave a, gave a, a very good case, I'd say, if we were having to uh, defend those guys in the court of law, maybe, uh, for uh, a, a very good uh, argument made for both uh, or all parties involved. So with that, Trevor, we'll wrap up tonight, uh, gents, with uh, more about the uh, ongoing fiasco surrounding college athletics. Again, Trevor, Barry, like I said plenty of times, changing of confluence of events here again, uh, mainly, of course, the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 already announced their plans to either cancel uh, football for the fall maybe move things to the spring uh, as of right now to the SEC, the ACC, the Big 12, still right now kind of in a way proceeding on with caution uh, with this in mind uh, for college athletics. Uh, Trevor, give me, uh, give us your thoughts on uh, where we're at right now in college athletics. I think this is either going to be the inevitable where all the conference eventually bow down to the coronavirus and decide there's no season or push back to the spring. I've seen Ohio State with Ryan Day. He's trying to push the university in Big Ten to at least play at the beginning the first week in January to get a season going. So there's enough time in between the two seasons. It's great for recruiting. So you can play two football seasons in one year that has not been done before. So that's really good for recruiting class to be like, hey, you guys can end up playing two football seasons. 
So you can potentially be an All-American twice in one year. So there's benefits to that. And I'm just thinking, I'm hopeful that we can get a spring season. And But like at the same time, if the other conferences still play and get through a season, how do you crown a national champion? That the Big Ten and the Pac-12 do not play, but they play in the spring. Do you create a college football playoff scenario in the spring for those teams? Or, for example, like the American Conference, they're still playing. Do they get the fourth spot in the college football playoffs in the fall? And you have a full national champion and you have a spring national champion just for this year. And you have two national champs. But we have to wait and see if the spring happens and what the coronavirus ends up doing for the rest of college football. By the way, Stephen had a great comment in the chat box, fellas, about the uh, argument, or not really the argument, but the segment that we just had about pro hockey. Stephen says, uh, five OTs is exactly why hockey is more competitive than basketball in his mind. So, uh, by the way, that vote was all in favor of the NHL having a more better or better postseason than the NBA. Uh, But again, John, I know, man, probably not your strong suit with college athletics, but again, man, at least the reports again, Big Ten, Pac-12, maybe looking towards the spring, uh, three conferences right now kind of proceeding with caution, which also leads me to the poll question is uh, from Stephen. Will the uh, Big 12 have a football season, yay or nay? But, John, uh, give us your thoughts just in a nutshell pretty much about what do you think about what's going to happen with uh, college football. And for that matter, though, man, fall sports across the board at all levels of college athletics. We're in the midst of a pandemic, and this virus apparently is not going away anytime soon. Look, we already passed July, and we thought it would be gone by July. Some of us thought it would be gone by June, and it's still here. Now, look, we're approaching September. We're about to flip the calendar again, and the virus is still here. You know, I'm not so sure there's going to be a second wave this winter. I think the second wave has already hit. So I think it would be taking the safer route to push the college football season back to the spring. I know I said that because of revenue and everything that football would take a huge blow, but I think that eventually um, all these leagues are going to just, all these conferences are just going to say, you know what, it's probably best if we just shut it down and try to do it again in the spring. And like Trevor said, this will benefit recruits, you know, um, in the long run. So, hey, um, if it makes all parties happy, why not just push it back and we'll have football in the spring instead of in September. I think uh, a lot of the fans will love that. They, fans love football. And if they can get football in the spring instead of the, the summer, so be it. So again, folks, we'll keep an eye on that. As mentioned, again, we know it's been a very weird confluence of events with, you know, this being canceled, that being moved back, this conference is doing this, so on and so forth. It's ever-changing. Yeah, ever-changing. Ever-changing for sure by the day, the hour, the minute, the second, the the millisecond, the nanosecond, the week, the month, you name it, it keeps going on and on and on. But again, folks, that poll question will wrap up very shortly. With that, though, Trevor, how about final thoughts for tonight's program? Final thoughts, if they try to do a football season – If they want to do one state that can do football, I think Texas can do it and they can make it up. So you divide up Texas respectively and they can call it the quote unquote state championship. So you can still roll with that. So, you know, Texas can still technically play a football season within the state if they choose to, because it's big enough. There's a lot of schools to make a small conference. Thanos may have snapped uh, and Trevor's no longer with us. John, how about you? Final thoughts for the program. Yeah, my final thoughts is to, you know, 
give my best piece of advice to all these people during this pandemic, please wear your mask. It's a simple thing to do. Just wear your mask and practice social distancing so we can get past this virus. The, the sooner we do it, maybe the faster we will put an end to this virus, you know, because quite honestly, my friend, I'm tired of it and I'm ready to go back to a normal life. I think most of us are are very exhausted and just over, we're just over this. You know, we're ready to see the new normal. So fans can return to the ballpark. And so the Rams can celebrate the grand opening of their new stadium. We, we want to be there for this kind of stuff, man. We need life to return to normalcy, man. And it's just been very, very tough. But that's my final thought. And I just hope everyone stays safe and healthy in times like this. And be smart. Be very smart. Trevor, we'll let you finish up your final thoughts, my friend. Go for it. Yeah, my final thoughts was I can't wait for no, no BS tomorrow with all the exciting stuff that we can cover and the special Power 5 segment. So definitely tune in for that to see what it is. It's a secret. You'll find out tomorrow, folks, on No BS. But of course, uh, with that in mind, folks. Spoiler uh, alert. Really spoiler alert. <laughs> no <Come> spoilers. <laughs> Silence is golden. Silence is golden. Turn off your phone. You, you've not heard anything about it yet. <laughs> with that, no folks, uh, as always, uh, for our man behind the scenes, our engineer and producer, Stephen uh, Wang. Shareable Steve, always, of course, coming through in the clutch. For Trevor Williams, pinch hitting for Isaiah LeYoung. For Isaiah LeYoung himself and for Jonathan Mathis, I'm Cal McClurg saying good night and thank you folks as always for tuning in. We'll see you folks back here tomorrow for No BS and back here on Monday for Wild Sports Talk's ninth episode right back here on the 6, the MI6 Sports Network. Take care, folks. Have a great rest of your day and a tremendous weekend. Till then, folks, see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Wild Sports Talk on the MI6 Sports Network. You can watch the program live every Monday and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Pacific time. Like the MI6 Sports Network on Facebook by visiting facebook.com and keyword searching MI6 Sports Network in the search bar. And also subscribe to our podcast channels wherever you get your podcasts. Just search MI6 Sports Network and subscribe today.